Amen. Amen. Take your scripture and turn to Philippians. As we continue to look at Paul's letter to the church of Philippi and his, remember not just the church there, but his friends, the people that he loved, the people that he served with, the people many of whom that he probably had a direct uh, a direct impact on bringing them to uh, a salvific knowledge of Christ. So these are the ones that he's speaking to. We're going to start in verse 12 today. In verse 12, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to will and to act for his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world, hold firmly the message of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run in vain or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you also should rejoice and share your joy with me. This is the passage today. We're going to try to get through. I can't promise if I've learned one thing from our pastor over the last 20 plus years that I've been under him is that you do not have to get through all of your notes. Although it's much cleaner and neater if I could do that, Leroy, and I'm a clean, neat, stick-by-the-book kind of a guy, but we may or may not get through all of my notes, but there are three points I want us to ponder today within this passage. The three points that we're going to look at, first, that there is a purpose to achieve, there's a purpose to achieve, there's a power to receive, and there's a promise to believe. But before we get to any of those, we've got to tackle this huge statement that Paul makes in verse 12. We've got to unpack this statement of what in the world does it mean to work out our own salvation. This is a passage and a statement that is so often uh, taken out of context many times. It's so often used as, as an example or used as scriptural evidence for a works-based salvation. And that's just simply not what it is. So before we can really discuss what it is, let's start talking about what it's not. What it's not. Okay, first let's, in verse 12, let's, let's back up before we start to unpack that. So then, my dear friends, the, the so then meaning we're we're kind of pointing back to, that's almost as if he's saying therefore or since. So anytime we see those words, we always have to kind of go back and look. And remember last week we looked at Christ's example. So we saw a huge, I mean, we were really dropped, Paul drops a bomb here with this is who you should be. And he tells us everything about who Christ was, the perfect servant. That, that Christ was. And so now he says, So then, my dear friends, just if you as always have you as always obeyed uh, in my presence, now do more so in my absence. And when I when I was reading that, I thought about it as a parent, do you do that? Do you give those instructions to your children? And you assume that they obey you all the time, but when they go to stay with someone or when the babysitter's coming or whatever. Do you also threaten them within the inch of their life? 
Yes. But why is it, why do we do something different? Shouldn't they obey just and obey? Why do we have that extra little whenever we're not going to be in their presence? Because we need to know that it's a heart issue. We need to know that it's something that they've embraced within just their being, that they're not just checking a box, and if I do this, I get this reward, right? We want to know, and that's why as parents, I feel like it's oftentimes, it's so much more rewarding for us when we hear our children complimented or when we hear that they've done well or they've, they've, um, they've been a blessing to someone else and we have not been there. And there's been no significant uh, reward or something that they're going to receive for that. It gives us some, some extra special blessing because we know they're starting to absorb it just into their being. It is who they are. It's the type of person that they're becoming. That's, you know, when we talk about parenting, when we talk about training a child, it's really we train their what? Their heart. We train their heart because out of that heart is where their decisions are made. It's where their actions are, are formed and reformed and, and that sort of thing. It's not just a matter of training their mind where all they're doing is just memorizing what it is that mom and dad want us to do. And if I do that, then I don't get disciplined. Okay, that's, that's not the type of training. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, yes, it blesses my heart that you obey my teachings when I'm there, but it really blesses me even double when I know that you're doing what I've asked to do, that you're doing what Christ commands of us, that you're following the example here that he had just given us, that you're following the example of Christ's servanthood even when I'm not there because it tells me that it's just who you are, that it's become a part of your everyday life. And I think even as, as Emily was speaking there and talking about how it was difficult for her to come back, to come back to the States, because I think we're, we're often guilty of that, that we are that obedient child on Sunday mornings from the hours of 9.30 to noon, right? When we're in church and when we're sitting nicely and doing the things, the churchy things that we've been trained well to do as good Southern Baptist. But where is it when we are not here? Is it just a part of our life? Are we blessing those around us at the grocery store? Are we blessing those around us at school? Are we blessing those around us in our place of work? Is our, uh, our love, is our devotion is our desire to, to emulate the example that we've seen in Christ that Paul gave us here in the passage that we studied last week, is that so very easily evident to those that see us? And I think that's what Paul's saying there in the first verse. And, and then he goes on to say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. First of all, it's interesting that he says, not just work out salvation, but what? You're to work out your own salvation. I think there's something we can glean from that. First of all, that salvation is something very personal and very intimate to each individual. We're not granted salvation because our parents have been members of a certain church for 50 plus years. We're not granted salvation because we are American citizens, because we are from the South, because we live in the Bible Belt. None of those are 
are reasons that we are granted this salvation. We each individually have to come to a personal and saving knowledge and relationship with Christ and who He is and what He's done for us and what that means in our own life. So oftentimes, I I talked about that it's misinterpreted or it's taken out of context. Many people believe that this means it's working out of your salvation, that we have to do certain things. That God has a level that's expected, and so we need to reach that level. We need to do certain acts. We need to work a certain way. um, And depending on, on, on which different sect or interpretation, that could be said and done in many different ways. Maybe we have to tell so many different people. We have to knock on so many doors. We have to do so many acts of kindness. We have to do all of these things in order to be worthy of this salvation. Right? Now, what's what's the problem with that? Okay. If if that is our, our basis of salvation... If our basis of salvation is that we need to do certain things, that focus then is put where? Because we have absolutely, I mean, where if that puts the power with me, there's a problem. Anytime we study through Scripture, and if we have an understanding, if we think that it means that the power lies with us, reevaluate where we are. Reevaluate your understanding of that passage because it never will be with the created, which is who we are. It'll never lie with the created. It will always lie with what? The creator. And, and doesn't that even just make sense? I mean, that's not even a huge theological. We don't have to have a master's in divinity to get that. That just makes sense. That the creator should be the one that always receives the ultimate glory, that it's there, the ball is in their court. It never should lie with who we are. Salvation is a work of God, not man. You know, and, and I think about that. What do we refer to uh, when we talk about becoming a Christian? We say that we're what? We're born again, right? Why do we use that phrase? Yes, it's used in Scripture, but why does God, why is that some of the phrase and terminology that he uses? You're a new creation. You are absolutely a new creation. Now, when you were born the first time, this is something that that God uses in Scripture and Christ uses it, and then Paul uses it uh, throughout his New Testament teachings of being born again. It's, It's a concept that people understand. And we remember Nicodemus even asked Christ about it. And what did he ask? Because he had a concept of what birth was, right? He's he's seen that happen. And what did he ask Christ? A very literal question, didn't he? How I'm not getting this. How can I be born again? How can I return to my mother's womb and be this doesn't make sense to me? How many of you had a part to play in your birth? Did you have a part to play in that? You did not. So therefore, if you are born again, why do you somehow think now that you have a part to play in being born again? There's a reason that he uses the terminology and the analogies that he uses. So again, for us to think that we have this part to play, that there's some work or there's something that we have to do, 
to obtain or to, to garner it is putting us in charge. It's giving us too much credit. And it's not where we are. The other thing that, that points us to the idea that we can't be working for it or we can't do something to gain it is because if we just use common sense, if we just think about things from a very logistical, uh, the only mind we have is the one that God has given us, right? And I believe he gave us enough for what we need to understand. I think there are things in Scripture and, and the whole process of salvation that, that honestly I don't know that we will ever be able to fully wrap our minds around, and I've gotten to the point that I'm okay with that. Because really it scares me worse to think that I can completely understand my God. Because if I serve a God that is small enough that my finite brain can understand him, I'm concerned about that being the God that I serve. Okay, so I'm okay not understanding everything. But let's think about what God does allow us to understand. And what I do understand is that if I can, let's take, for instance, if it's true that we can work to gain our salvation, then what has to also be true? If you take that line of thinking, and if you take that reasoning, and if you take that judgment, that you can do something to earn it, then what? You can do something to lose it. I mean, that just makes sense. Again, we are not Bible scholars. We're just people. Not even that bright. Some of us. I'm not pointing out. I'm not naming names, Rita. Okay, but that just makes sense, doesn't it? If I can work to gain something, then it only makes sense that I can work to lose something. So you cannot just take one little four words of Scripture and pull them out and now build this entire uh, base of how salvation takes place. Turn to John chapter 10. Hold your place there in, in Philippians, but let's look in John 10 just briefly. John 10 and verse 27. It's the, word of, the words of Christ. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one, not even you. You can't make yourself be lost out of his hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me. Again, where, where are you in this equation? The Father is the one that gave them to Christ, and Christ is the one that's holding you. You haven't been mentioned yet. My Father who has given them to me is greater than what? All. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Now check out the, the words that he uses there. Because he says the Father gave them, meaning us, the Father gave us to Christ. Now Christ, we were his prize. Better for us than him. 
We are his prize for the victory that he won at the cross, right? The Father places us in his hand, in Christ's hand. But then what does it say later there? They're one, but it says that we are in whose hand? The Father's hand, right? So we are in Christ the Son's hand, and then what happens? The Father says, you're in my hand too. And the Son and the Father are one. So you have Christ, victorious over death, has a hold of us. God the Creator then comes and seals that. This is where we are held. That's comforting, isn't it? This is where we are. This is how he can say with confidence that no one will snatch you from my hand. He's not holding us by a pinky. We're not there on an edge, hoping that, you know, if we're doing good, we're, we're okay. If we make some mistakes, we're not. We are double-clutched in not just any one hand, but Christ who is victorious over death and God the Father who is creator of all. I mean, how is that? That alone should tell us that this has nothing to do with us working for our salvation. This has nothing to do, this statement that Paul's making, has nothing to do with what we can do to gain that salvation. So what then does it mean? What it does mean, he talks about working out our own salvation. And I love the personalness of it here. Meaning that what, what you are working on and toward and building and growing is different than where I am. Not that our salvation is different in that you have more salvation than I have, or I have less salvation than you have, or you have this. And I, it's not that there are you know name brand versions of salvation and generic brand versions. There's not that. We are, it is all one, but where you are and what you are working out and what God is teaching you is different than what God is teaching me at this very moment. Right? This phrase, working out your salvation, they would be familiar with this term, and they would be familiar with it probably being used, uh, if it were being used to talk about working out a mine or working out a field, as in harvesting it. So you're working that out. You're working out that field to make sure that you, that you get every bit of valuable from that mine. Everything that's valuable in there, you're mining it and you're working it out to ensure that everything that's valuable in there has been harvested. Or in a field, if you're going and you're, and you're, you're gathering and you're harvesting that crop, that working out, they would have understood that to mean that you're not just going through and plucking, you know, every other year or corn or whatever it is, but you're actually harvesting and you're gathering every bit that that crop is producing so that you have everything that is valuable, everything that is wor of worth, you're having it and using it, and it is at your disposal. Now think about what that means. He's saying, I want you to work in such a way that every blessing and benefit of salvation is being used. Every benefit and blessing of your salvation is being used used and gathered and poured back out 
Now, as I read this, you know, several analogies kind of come come through. Because I'm a simple-minded person, I have to use analogies. But first, I thought a lot about mathematics. And I thought, does anybody like mathematics? Is anybody at Donita's shaking? I've got lots of no's. I have my nerd family <laughs> over there, Parker and Claire and Melissa. Oh, yeah, that's great. We love math. <laughs> They're so weird. Um, I mathematics was one of those things that, you know, that what would the teacher always ask you to do? Show your work. Well, there's a reason I don't want to show my work. <laughs> because if I show my work, you realize I don't have any idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? But if I could just put the answer down here, there's a chance, maybe, that I got it right. And because, again, my brain works so very different, I never got the answer the way you're supposed to get the answer. Because I would think I would kind of work backward and I would round up numbers. Like, I would round up to get to a, a, a math equation. You know, because like 10 times something is easy to do. Man, I can knock those out. So I would always round stuff up to whatever was an easy number for me to do in my head and then go back and try to do a little subtraction over how, I, you know, and then that would give me a number and that's why I did, I did pretty well in the ACT in math because it's multiple choice. So I could use my little, my little way of doing things, and I could get pretty close, right? And then there's four answers, and I just picked whichever one's closest to the one that I came up with. It worked. Now, the problem with that is, if you're really needing to measure something, <laughs> pretty close doesn't always work, does it? If you're really needing to, to measure medicine that you're about to put into another human being, that's pretty close. <laughs> well, what could possibly go wrong? It's not that bad, right? I did. I rounded up, and it worked on the ACT. Okay, so, so that, that analogy is kind of there. We're, we're showing our work because the idea that the teacher wanted to know in showing the work is that in showing your work, you should be able to then have a better understanding of why the answer is x squared over 18. Nobody likes using numbers in math anyway. I mean letters in math. But, but that's, that's the idea of showing your work, right? But really the one that kind of caught me, the analogy that I thought about, that I think really is what Paul is trying to get at here when he's talking about, make sure that you are working out your salvation in order that you get every benefit of what Christ has died for you. Make sure that you get every benefit, every ounce of blessing that Christ has laid his life for you. Don't sell yourself short. So I thought of milkshakes. <laughs> Our family's big on milkshakes. Milkshakes, we do those rewards for good grades, lose a tooth, Wednesday, you know, whatever. We, we like milkshakes. So I'm thinking about how often I'm, in the, I'm driving and in the back seat, I hear... <laughs> you ever hear that? It's typically Claire. She is making sure every drop of that milkshake is used. Every single, every drop of whipped cream and cherry juice and whatever it is that was in that milkshake is going to be enjoyed. To the point that at some point we normally have to say, Claire, I think it's gone. <laughs> it's over. The straw itself is now dry. There's nothing else 
to be had. But man, isn't that how we should be as a believer? <laughs> to me, that's working out our salvation. As if we're sucking that milkshake dry. But how much do we leave in the bottom of the cup? How much are we leaving in the bottom of the cup? Because the only time we open His Word is when we come to church. How much are we leaving in the bottom of the cup? Because we've not poured our life into someone else. We've not sought out those that are trying to follow along this same path and we've not poured our life and invested and mentored into them. How much have we left in the bottom of the cup because we've not been seeking someone to mentor us? Because we think we're okay. We know enough. Is half a milkshake okay with you? I just, I feel like that's where we are sometimes. And I think that's the challenge. Obviously, Paul didn't have milkshakes on his mind. But if he had known what they were, I think he might have. And Paul's challenging his friends here. He's challenging people that he loves. Work out your own salvation. Garner every ounce of what Christ has done for us. Everything, every blessing that is there for us to be had. But then let's look as we continue on. I think it just reiterates what we see and we're not going to get through all the notes. <laughs> work out your own salvation how? Wow, now, we've, now he throws us another little curveball. We finally get over this idea that, okay, I'm not working for my salvation. I'm working it out. And what I'm working for is just as if I'm gleaning this harvest or I'm sucking every ounce of chocolate milkshake and, and I'm gathering that, that, that blessing, that benefit. And now he says to do this how? With fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Now look at verse 13. For. He starts with for, which tells us what? It's as if he's saying, therefore, or again, he's kind of saying, look back at what I just said. Look back at what I just said. Do it with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you. That should scare you to death. The God of the universe, your creator, in everywhere that you look and everything that you look at and you see, everything that ever has been, everything that ever will be, has been created by Him. He already knows what it is. He knows what will happen, what has happened, and why it happened, the way that it happened, and when it happened. That very God is working in you. That very God is the one enabling you. If that doesn't shake you up a little bit, if that doesn't give you a little sense of awe, then there's, there's a problem. To me, I think of, um, think of a muscle car here. There's a difference in a Ford Fusion, okay, 
and a muscle car with a huge engine. The way that you drive them is very different, right? If you were behind the wheel of one of these muscle cars or one of these race cars that are designed and the power that they have, it, they are supposed to go 200 miles an hour around the track incredibly fast at these high rates of speed. Do you just go and drive them the same way you do your minivan around to Walmart? No. That sense of power that would be under the hood, would it make you nervous? It should, shouldn't it? Wouldn't it make you a little bit fearful? Would you want your 16-year-old new driver starting with that? No. So, I mean, it's a poor analogy, but you get where I'm saying that that vehicle has that power, and it, it makes us nervous because of the power that you feel there under the hood. If that makes us nervous, what about the God of the universe? That Paul says, he is the one that is enabling you. He is the one that is energizing you. God and his spirit is the power inside you, allowing you to work and to pour out into other people's lives. It should give us some fear. A holy fear. It should cause us to tremble. Because if it don't, if it doesn't, if that does not cause you some sense of of fear, then maybe we think that we had a part in our salvation. It should make us feel very small of who we are not and who he is. So our first point that we want to ponder here is that there is a purpose. To achieve. There is a purpose to achieve, and that purpose that we're achieving is to understand the full benefit of His salvation. Understand the full benefit of His salvation. It is so much more than having your name on a church roll, it is so much more than just securing an eternity in heaven. It is having the God of the universe actually and literally working in us and through us. And that should cause fear and trembling. So as we leave this morning, because that's, that's where we, we got through one of the three, which we're not, we're not really going to count because we had to clear up the whole works thing. So we're not really saying that I only got through a third of it. But as I would challenge you this morning to look just at your everyday life. Review your last week. Did you suck every ounce of that salvation? Have we asked God to pour every, every, every ounce that he's given us, have we asked God for opportunities to pour that in to someone else? All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that in my weak attempt to to explain and to teach how great you are, that Lord, your word, that your word would speak for itself. That the words that you gave Paul so many years ago would cause us 
to think that, Father, it would cause us um, conviction, that, Lord, it would enable us to value even more and to hold an even higher regard the salvation that you've given us. Father, I pray that that this week, as we work out, as we glean, as we harvest, as we try to gather every blessing and every benefit of your salvation, that, Father, we, we suck it dry. Lord, in such a way that we can't help but to see it and to feel it and to hear it overflow from our lives and into those that are around us. Father, I pray that you would continue to teach us, continue to work through us. Lord, the idea that your very spirit is the one that works in us and energizes us and enables us, Father, makes me feel so small. And it does bring fear and trembling. Because, Father, you do use broken things. And because you do, here I am. I'm all yours. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.